<laughs> All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 174. I'm Bob Ekayeri. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you about everything that's going on in college football. So, gosh, it's Tuesday night. I am still in Houston. The national championship game was, of course, last night. It's a pretty wild uh, evening in terms of workload. For those of us in the press, you, you're at the stadium after everyone leaves. We can thank Big Ten football for speeding that game along a little bit faster than expected. I think it went for about three hours and 30 minutes. Quite honestly, unless it's a blowout like last year, the game does move pretty quick for even those of us way in the upstairs because you're trying to track everything that's happening. And as wild as it sounds, the commercial breaks are a little welcome because you can kind of take a break to sort of gather your thoughts. But um Still here in Houston, decided to take an extra day to kind of uh, to relax because you get about, oh, three to four hours of sleep um, the, in that evening. I mean, the the person I, I do another podcast show with, he got, he works for CBS, he got like two hours of sleep because he had to do a show in the late evening, then a show in the morning. So, anywho, we're here. Let's talk college football. I see we've got a couple of people who want to join us already. Beck, I know I saw you immediately, so I'll go ahead and let you up. I'm Bob Akayeri. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can hit request in the bottom left. So, Beck, what's going on? What's on your mind? Hey, hey. How about that game last night? Uh, how was it? Tell us, how was the split in the stadium? Who was louder? The atmosphere just uh, pregame, and um, and I'll follow up on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the pregame atmosphere outside, I, I missed all of it because I get there super early. But honestly, it was a mess outside because there was a um, actually even a tornado watch. It never, thankfully, nothing happened in the Houston area, but it was just a mess. Like, I, I it's so funny because I get there so early. I, I want to walk. the. They let you, if you're in the press box, onto the field up until about it gets real close to game time. Then you have to go up to the press and you come back down when the game is done. But um, I noticed, and I, I should have, the guy who tweeted it made like, I mean, everyone saw his tweet. I didn't, I saw the same thing. I didn't, I was just like not thinking. I was walking in the middle of the, the, uh, the like you don't walk on the field, but I was walking the sideline and I was like, Did, was that a drop? Like I was like, because <laughs> it's a closed roof. I knew it was retractable. I didn't think about the fact that it was storming so much outside that the roof was leaking. But apparently it wasn't like pouring rain, but that roof apparently, um, Somebody, I believe, from the Wall Street Journal, Lane Higgins, who's actually uh, done a space with us before, had followed up with somebody, and they said, like, yeah, we've never actually seen the roof leak. So it was a crazy storm outside. When I arrived, I got there during a lull, but the pregame outside, pretty much everyone rushed into the stadium as soon as it was open because it was just a mess. But, you know, in terms of the crowd split, uh, since you ask, you know, I've heard 60-40 said Michigan, and that sounds about right, maybe a little more. It certainly was more Michigan fans, although um, the Washington fans, also to be fair, the, the shades got a little close, especially from a distance, so it wasn't perfectly able. Like, you'd see some people in maze, and then you could tell, like, okay, those are definitely Michigan fans. But um, in terms of loudness, I, I got to give the Washington fans credit. They came pretty close. If you know, like, the Pac-12, you know, rest in peace, but if you know the, the history of, of Washington their stadium is notoriously loud. Like before, I think even Autzen got its reputation for being an extremely loud stadium uh, on the West Coast. Playing in Husky Stadium was known for being a loud venue because they have these kinds of awnings that cover the upper deck. 
So they know how to make noise and they kind of they kind of know the right moment to do it. Um, in terms of the atmosphere, it was good. It was a really healthy atmosphere. I mean, you had two fan bases that were, were happy to be in the championship. Um, not just happy to be that like if you're happy to be there, it sounds like you're going to get your butt clobbered and kind of just, you know, maybe next year. Um, certainly, you, you got the sense that everyone was there. And, and, and I mean, fans were well behaved. It wasn't like a I've never been one of these that's hostile because probably the price of entry is so high. That you kind of, you know, I, I was hearing what the prices were, and they had dropped because Texas was no longer a contender, and those guys had bought up so much. Um, but it was like overall, the atmosphere was good. Post game, there were obviously a lot of Michigan fans still in the stadium. Um, the hype on the field was palpable. Uh, the, the way they do it, and it's a little annoying with a national championship game. Um, after the pandemic, a lot of post game um, planning has kept certain amounts of, because there's kind of a, if you want to get into kind of the meta part of this, there's a push-pull in the sports press in the sense that um, the people who are sort of the, the sports information directors, the communication directors, they want to restrict access because they want to control the story that the team says, while historically the press wants as much access as possible. So the pandemic, no one got access because of the pandemic. And then since then, it's like, oh, now we had all control. Now we're going to only kind of give back what little bits we want to um, press access. So we're allowed on the field, but they don't let you on until a little later. So it's a shame you can't be there the moment the game stops, but about three minutes or four minutes after the game stops, everyone goes on the field. Um, obviously, the Michigan Michigan players were elated. Somehow, I always get a kick out of the fact that they have like the pre-printed uh, I think I think it was one of the Detroit papers and a couple of players were handing them up with a, uh, you know, <laughs> a national champions headline. It's like, OK, um, but, uh, you know, overall, it was interesting. One of my favorite moments was as J.J. McCarthy was heading into the tunnel. You know, there's a you could you could tell who where he was because there was a whole scrum of camera people trying to get shots of him as he's leaving the field. And I didn't know this at the time. It was one of the ESPN cameras. Like, he just tripped on himself and ate it right in front of because he was walking backwards. And it was actually kind of funny because then you see J.J. McCarthy just stop. And he's like, oh, crap. You know, and he and another guy were trying to pull him up. And then apparently this happened. I didn't realize it was an ESPN camera because uh, I somebody, I guess, Alpha Announcing posted the live shot. Like, they were talking about the game. And then one of them goes like, oh, it looks like our cameraman just fell. And I ended up catching a clip of them picking him up. So... Um, that was just kind of amusing just to see that kind of, it's, it's a weird bit of sort of anarchy, but not, not like completely dangerous. So anyway, that, since you asked, that was kind of the, the before, during, after kind of vibe of the whole thing. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Sounds, sounds like it was a lot of fun. Uh, it definitely was on TV. Um, uh, in terms of the game, uh, Washington defense, I, I don't know what happened. It felt like they, they, left everything last week, just like TCU did with Michigan the, the year before, uh, could not stop the run, could not stop even, you know, 10 to 15 yard passes. Um, what, what do you make of that? And just Michigan just came with a perfect game plan, you know, control the tempo, battle in the trenches. And Penix Jr. could not throw those passes like with Texas um, tight man coverage, but he didn't even try that much. What, what, do you think it was the game plan, or, or do you think he was just under so much pressure and he couldn't release? That's a great question. So um, the, I'll, I'll start with the the Penix side of it because the Washington offense was in some ways the biggest surprise, not because 
not only because because the Michigan defense was good. Everyone knew the Michigan defense is great. Um, if anything, that performance, I think, elevated their stature. I'm not necessarily sure 2021 Georgia, but but it, they're in the, the discussion of being one of the great uh, defensive units out there. But, you know, as much as they were good, yeah, Penix just seemed off because that fourth down throw that totally missed an open Rome Adunze um, was just like a shocker. And... I'm not sure because like even in the post game, because I went to the post game where he's talking and Penix was like, look, we we made a lot of little mistakes and, you know, I missed some throws. He didn't mention it, but there were at least two plays where his receivers not touched. They just fell down and they would have been a great throw. Uh, it was, The throw went where it was supposed to. The guy just wasn't there because he tripped. Um, so there were there were moments like that. Uh, so all of these little errors, I think, accumulated and. With Michigan, they made far fewer errors. Because remember, the Alabama game, Alabama and Michigan kept making errors. It's just that Alabama kept making more critical errors uh, than, than Michigan did. This time, Michigan made some minor errors, but nothing that serious. And Washington was the one that kept, unfortunately, making these errors at the on the worst possible time in the final game of the season against a team that is not making errors and is very good at defense. Um you know, credit to Will Johnson and Mike Sanders still. Those two guys, like, they had critical interceptions. Everyone knew they were good, but they had critical interceptions. I mean, the one to open the second half had to be a, a bit of a morale, you know, crusher for uh, Washington. Although they they battled back. They kept – that was the thing. The game was, was awfully close up until that fourth quarter, um, closer than it seemed. Like, it felt like Michigan was in control the whole time. But you just up until that that um, Mike Sanders still interception, eighty one yard uh, return that set up the Blake Corum touchdown, like that was the backbreaker. That was I remember when that interception happened. He ran back like you're kind of in the press box. Some of us are kind of like, oh, that looks like it for Washington at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, it was. I, I still can't explain it now. As for the Washington defense, you know, they also seem enough to be fair. I think. Both both sides of the ball for Michigan did a great job of mixing things up and confusing the other side of the line. I'm going to go back to the Michigan defense one minute because think about that first drive for Washington. They used two timeouts in that first drive because they saw something on the other side and they just couldn't tell what the defense was lining up for. So they called the timeout twice on the opening drive on their opening drive of the game. And lo and behold, what did they get? They got three points out of it. And then Michigan goes back and scores again. I mean, for for Washington, uh, this was unfortunately Donovan Edwards' like return to prominence game. Uh, he had those two incredible runs. In fact, it was funny too because he had um, it was again a moment of somewhat humor in the press box because uh, it's a pretty you know dry place. Everyone's working, but there's a press box announcer, and and he's keeping a very. By the way, this is so funny. The 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 guy who's done every national championship game in the playoff era is actually the Washington uh, uh, stadium announcer. Like it's a side gig. He and the stat crew from Washington, for some reason, for the last ten years have always done the national championship game. Just coincidentally, Washington happened to be in it this year. But he was uh, he's you know he's calling you know different records as they come up as a stats crew has figured it out. And they said, like, you know, Donovan Edwards, you know, 41-yard touchdown is the second longest in the history of the college football playoff. Of course, it's been like 10 years, so, I mean, not that big of a record. Um, And then, like, within uh, one more drive, it's like, 
he had a 46-yard touchdown drive. So they, you know, he's like, obviously, that is now the second longest touchdown run. And you've got a chuckle in the audience of the of the otherwise jaded press. But um, yeah, it, it, honestly, I just think this was a, a mix of good scheme on both sides of the ball that confused exactly what worked against Alabama and with with Penix and is just not having a, the greatest day of his. I mean, it was a bit like the Arizona. Unfortunately, he had a game like Arizona State and it couldn't. And, and the problem is the offense here was was more competent and they were able to just do what they do. Pound the ball. It was it was a classic Michigan victory. They ground him down. And by the end, you know, you've you know, to, to use the old uh, one of the old memes on Reddit that we had a drowned ferret in the bathtub. <laughs> yeah yeah now uh harbaugh can leave in peace and get get himself a nice contract in the nfl yeah i think he's going to that was a fascinating by the way i want to just yeah going back to that press conference because I, I was there for it and you know there were a couple there he had i mean everyone knows you know obviously harbaugh has is like a quote machine but when his opening statement and opening statement wasn't like long but he had one of the funniest statements and i'm sure some of you who are michigan fans have seen it but I'm going to read it because it's a short paragraph. For me personally, I can now sit at the big person's table in the family. They won't keep me over there in the little table anymore. My dad, Jack Harbaugh, won a national championship. This is, by the way, Western Kentucky when they were a lower division school. And my brother won a Super Bowl. It's good to be at the big person's table from now on. And a little later in the press conference, uh, uh, Andy Staples is the one who asked this question, by the way. You know, it kind of said like, you know, it, I mean, it was a polite question. So I'm scrolling down to it. You know, you mentioned all those accomplishments in the big person's table. Would you want to add winning a Super Bowl to that? And Harbaugh was just kind of like, I just want to enjoy. And literally, he's like, I just want to enjoy this. I hope you can give me that. Can a guy just have that? Does it always have to be what's happening next? What's the future? I mean, he never denied it, but it was just kind of like, look, I'm just going to focus on this. I coincidentally got the last question in the press conference. Um, I, I couldn't believe, like, I, I couldn't believe it, but I was humored that I got it because I actually promised actually someone, uh, I can see them in this, uh, in this, uh, Twitter space audience, uh, that I would ask a question because they, they know Michigan ball. Apparently during the post game pressure for Michigan state, Harba said he would get a, he doesn't have a tattoo, but he would get one if they went 15 and 0. And I guess he made a promise to the team. So I asked him that I'm like, Hey, you know, uh, I, I didn't make it like I didn't want to put him like on the spot. I wasn't sure how we'd react to it. So I'm like, you know, early this season you said I don't have a tattoo, but if we go 15 to no, I might consider getting one. Uh, you know, what's your thoughts on that? And he was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get it. Um, I promised I would. Uh, and then he was like, He went into like the details. I'm thinking, uh, I guess because at first he was thinking about his shoulder, but I, I thought he was talking like his back shoulder, but he was actually referring to like the side of his arm um, and where he was gonna put it. And then you know, he wants to get uh, a block M as well. But that's where he took it to kind of the next level where I guess this is kind of the, the classic Jim Harbaugh, like thinking it out. He's like, you know, uh, the, the letter M signifies a thousand in Roman numerals. And of course, this was a season where Michigan had gone and reached the thousand threshold. He talked about how meaningful that was. Um, it kind of went on and on and on. So uh, that was funny to me only because, you know, you ask a question. The next thing you know, like the next day, you see one of the highest rated posts on Reddit is the USA Today blog page like taking the question you asked and turning it into like a listicle. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, that, that part made me laugh because I was like, oh, crap. You know, it, it's like a, a flat circle, like the guy from, you know, RCFB asked a question and it turns into a um, <laughs> to a Reddit post. But, That's you know, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Good job. 
Yeah, yeah thanks, Beck. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Ski Masks Murphy, I know you're also a Michigan fan. Welcome up. I'll get to whoever raises their hand and wants to join the conversation. It doesn't just have to be about Michigan football, um, but I'm happy to talk about whatever you guys want to. Um, so, Ski Masks Murphy, what's going on? Uh, the only thing that's going on is we won. It feels, it feels great to be a graduate from a school with a national championship. feels like it's been a long time coming. And... I just want to say that, um, well, the first thing I have to say is, like, I was talking about it with friends leading up to the game, how it feels like this season Donovan Edwards was used more as a lead blocker than as a runner. It was just great to see because he also had, like, a, in the pregame pressers, he was giving an interview, you know, where he's discussing, you know, his mental state and how everything he's been handling with dealing with, he's, he hasn't been involved in the offense and everything. And, but he's still glad, like, the team's winning, and he's doing the things it takes for the team to win. And it seems like he gets the first two touchdowns of the of the game for us, and both on, like, major big runs. It's just a great thing to see in terms of just a player, you know, sticking with his team and being able – and, like, in the moments where they really need him, he comes through. That was great to see. But also I just wanted to say, given the final score, this makes it half of all the college football playoff championships have ended with a team leading by 21 or more. And I just wanted to know your opinions on how you feel about that. So, yeah, the uh, the Donovan, starting with the Donovan Edwards thing, uh, in the postgame, to go back really quickly to the postgame presser, he, he was brought up, and it was interesting because for players they brought up Blake Corum because he was the offensive MVP, Will Johnson as a defensive MVP, and J.J. McCarthy because, I don't know, he was a quarterback, and we all know the bromance between Harbaugh and, and McCarthy. So they brought him up as the third player. But – they asked him about it, you know, to see about how big it was, how satisfying it was to see Donovan. Blake was asked this, and he just, he immediately answered in just the most gushing tone. He's like, you know, he needed that. He needed it. You know, he's back. The Dono is back. And he was talking about how, you know, dealing with the mental things he's done. Like, they were all very open about this. It was actually kind of neat to hear that, you know. I'm not, I'm still of an era where you didn't hear that talked about as much. And then, you know, as soon as uh, Blake was done talking, uh, JJ kind of jumped in as well to say, you know, because uh, they'd been roommates for two years and, and just how happy they were for him. So that was, yeah, I think the team certainly um, was on that same page that a lot of fans were uh, because, again, he was so so much of the the offense last season and just seemed to not quite, not quite break through this season. But on the most important stage, suddenly he re- had to return to form. As for the score differential... I mean, uh, this one I'm willing to kind of, uh, this one kind of almost has, uh, you know, a bit of a note to it because it was pretty close until the end. It just, it, that fourth and 13 pick by Mike Sandersoll just changed the face of the game. And suddenly a game that was in da- it was continually being pescally close. Um, Michigan always seemed in control. It, it, it would have been a, a surprise, though not a shock, if Washington um, had managed to, to, to potentially score and and come together in the in the final stretch of the fourth quarter. But after that Sanders still interception, that just broke him. And, you know, especially an eighty one yard return that set up an easy touchdown on the other side of the field. But last year was the aberration. I think we can all agree to that. Last year was woof, man. I mean, TCU, the Cinderella turned back into a pumpkin right before kickoff and got smashed. You know, uh, and then, you know, that occasionally happens. I mean, those of us who were around for the BCS era, 
remember that Nebraska-Miami game. That was another disaster. Uh, sometimes they happen. Sometimes the team just doesn't show up. On, yeah, it's going to be utterly fascinating next season, by the way. You know, I saw, I think it was Fox Sports Twitter account put up, you know, only 228 days until college football is back. You know, as much as that kind of hurts to read, it's going to be less starting next year. We're going to have, you know, a couple of rounds of playoffs. We're going to have quarterfinals and semifinals. It's not going to be done until the final game is going to be January 20th of next year. Coincidentally, Inauguration Day, but I mean, no one checks calendars in this sport, as we found out when Las Vegas had to hand back the championship because they couldn't host it, as it turned out. Um, you know, so it, we're going to have even less amount of time in between. But the reason I'm bringing that extended calendar up, I'm not sure the team we're going to see in the championship game in some of these circumstances. Because let's let's look at Washington. Dylan Johnson, we all remember uh, who were following the Sugar Bowl, that, that injury at the end of the game. He managed to suit up and play, but he went into the injury tent after the first play of the game. He came back. He had some decent plays, but the running game for Washington just wasn't there. I'm sure part of it was, of course, the excellent line play and defense of Michigan, but the, there was an open question of Dylan Johnson was even performing. And certainly his backups, they didn't really even bother to use them as runners. I mean, there was a little bit of use of Tybo Rogers and, and Nixon, but Will Nixon, but they, they were actually used more as receivers uh, than they were, you know. And, and again, you know, going back to, sorry, what one of the things that, again, one of the factors that really, I think, limited uh, what Washington was able to do is the, those, uh, I, I, that was an open question. Were you going to see Michigan having a problem dealing with too many good receivers? Because Roma Dunze was excellent. He didn't, obviously, he was being well covered. But uh, Jalen Polk had an off game. He, by the way, he's entered, I believe he's entered the NFL. Um, yeah, he's declared for the NFL draft. He had a great year, but man, last last night, he he unfortunately just had an off game. And that also was one of the problems that 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 kind of hurt this and limited that Washington offense. But in terms of the points differential, I think, you know, it's not a one thing I do admit, I did think this. What if Alabama had won in overtime? Um, how would have Alabama done against Washington? Would it have been any different? Not sure. Alabama might be crowned the national champion at the end of the night. It's so funny too. I love how people are like jumping on Alabama, like, oh no, they're the the SEC stinks. It's like, hello, they're literally the only team that seemed to even challenge Michigan this year. So I hate to say this, but Alabama, you know, looking at what happened to the 15 games that Michigan played, they were by far the best opponent that they had. So to, to say that, no, they had no, you know, I mean, because I get, okay, I get the arguments for why people didn't want Alabama in over Florida State. But if to say like they didn't, they, they weren't meant to play in the playoff, like as a talent level, like that is a joke. That is anyone who makes that argument, like you can just basically disregard anything they say. Because I mean, on on the sport. Because I, I get you could say Florida State deserved to be there. I respect that argument. Not hundred percent on board with it, but I get it. But if you say like because they they lost to to Michigan and proved they didn't belong there, give me a break. They were the only team that even came close. <laughs> but uh, that's what I thought on that. But feel free to stick around, Scheme Smurf. I see we have a couple of other hands up. Let's see here. I think it's Tom Alice. Oh, Tom Alistair. Sometimes I have trouble parsing out usernames. Tom Alistair, I'm going to let you up in a second, and we'll have you up here. Um, you know, it was interesting, too. I know some of the, the ratings are coming up, TV ratings, I should say. And that was a really well-watched national championship game. I think ESPN says across their networks they had 25 million watching. And remarkably, 
the three most watched games of the entire season all involved Michigan. The Rose Bowl, I think, was still number one because it's a better spot. It's a big, everyone's got the day off. It's at a reasonable time. Um, you know, so the Rose Bowl was still the most watched. You had, you know, it was a haterade bowl because who want, I mean, a lot of people are not fans of Michigan and Alabama. So people tuned in for that. The uh, second most watched game was this national championship last night. And the third most watched game was Ohio, was uh, Ohio State, Michigan. So, you know, <laughs> hail to the victors in terms of TV ratings, baby. That, that, that's value add right there. The Big Ten, very happy to know that. Um, let's see here. And hey, they get Washington in next season, too. So we get the, I wonder how the ratings are going to be for the rematch next season. It's going to be very different teams, but uh, I'll be curious to see that. Let's see here. So anyways, Tom Allister, you've been uh, super patient. What's going on? Well, hello. Sorry for my very thick accent. It's because I'm from Costa Rica, I guess. But I wanted to say two things. Turns out that for some reason, the ending of the national championship reminded me of the 2022 national championship where Georgia defeated Alabama with an interception, similar to what Michigan did. Oh, yeah, I, I totally get that. I've, and I've seen that comparison made, um, certainly. And I think, yeah, I, I definitely think so, because that was another game that was close until the end. Um, although, to be fair, I always felt that game felt a little closer, though. The Alabama-Georgia matchup felt a little tighter. I think what, again, just for those of us who were watching in the press box, we kind of we talked to each other as we were watching the game. There was, And I was... Like, it's so funny. I was curious where they stick. You know, when you're when you're sort of a one off, like you're not a part of a larger network, you're always curious where they kind of stick you in the press box. So I was like, Mason Blue um, was my neighbor, Michigan Insider. I, I had like the nicest guy who was a retired reporter who was kind of freelancing. His name was Dick Weiss. He'd been a writer for you know the New York Daily News and the Philadelphia Daily uh, News for like forty years. He was. Older gentleman, he'd been the president of the Football Rise Association, sweetest old guy, super razor sharp. But you could tell he didn't have a computer with him. Like he was old school. He was literally kind of picking at his phone. And then occasionally he would want to hear something. So he'd play the replay on his phone with the volume up. And I'm just sort of, all of us were being nice because we didn't want to be rude. The guy was like a really sweet old man next to us. Like, oh, imagine your grandparent with technology, except they cover college football. Um, so that was kind of my neighbor. But um, yeah, no. So during this game, though, we were all kind of talking with each other. And that whole the fact that I've said that, like by the second quarter, it was clear something just was off with Washington. They just weren't clicking um, with the little errors, with the with the receivers tripping, with balls being dropped and, and a couple of Penix passes that were just completely off the mark. That made it just feel a little less close in that Georgia Alabama matchup. But all of that said, I think you're right that the way that game sealed up on that interception was certainly the significance that was felt. I mean, when there was still that chance that Washington could come back, but I, I just felt that that departed the moment that interception was thrown. Um, Cause it was interesting too, because from the strategic, you know, let, let's get into the, you know, not to get into the sort of the backbones of, of the, the media coverage, but you're always wondering when you're in the press box, especially in a game of that caliber, all right, when do I start heading to the field? You know, if it's a blowout like last year, you just go to the field whenever. It's like, look, the game's pretty much in the bag. You know, we've, you've pretty much written your story during the second half, um, and you make your way down just to get quotes and things like that. But during this game, you know, when they're closer, you're in that press box watching because you don't want to miss what's happening. You want to take your notes. 
And that was the moment when that interception and he went back 81 yards. It was just kind of like the moment Coram went in for that touchdown. Um, everyone was like, okay, this game is, is pretty much in the bag. It's time to start heading down and getting ready to be on the field. But uh, it's a legitimate view. Um, what are your other thoughts, man? Well, I really think that, that Michigan winning was good for me as an Oregon fan because I dislike the Huskies a lot. And by, well, let me say something random because I was waiting for this. I really hope that someday we can get Greg Byron, Alabama's athletic director, on, on an email. <laughs> I love this. I love that year. That's rivalry. That is rivalry right there. Skimass Smurphy, I see your hand up. Oh, I just wanted to say that it's funny that um, that the play the fourteen playoff ends with Michigan versus Washington, but the first fourteen playoff was Ohio State versus Oregon. So it's like a perfect flip flop of just hate to start it and to end it. <laughs> and him being an Oregon fan, it just it just made me think of that. Bookends, perfect bookends to it. Two rivals, you know, bookending the. Uh... The reign of the SEC and ACC, uh, <laughs> the SEC in front, SEC and their right hand man, their buddy, their their. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure the ACC doesn't like to hear that, but hey, you know we're not Florida. No one's trying to leave the SEC right now. Um, let's see here. You know, um, on a lighter note, I just want to go through one quick quote. This is this one kind of uh, was appeared just sort of this morning uh, on the internet, but. Uh, let's see here. It was uh, it was one of these reports by um, Brett McMurphy, who's over at uh, um, Action Network. But in this kind of article where he's interviewing people, uh, uh, this quote is great. And, and it was an uh, Alabama official who had talked to him. And I have to say, I, I've, every time I run into Brett McMurphy, we always tease each other. He's a great guy, great reporter. And, and you know, just he's got this this level of cynical humor that just, you know, if you're into that, it's great. But the quote was, an Alabama official told me at the Rose Bowl, look, everyone, and I mean everyone, is stealing signs. Michigan was not the only school doing this. And an industry source added this. Kansas basketball cheats more than anyone, and they didn't do anything to Kansas. The only thing pure in college athletics is Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt sucks. <laughs> like, I, poor Vandy's just sort of sitting having a tea in the library and they're just catching strays, you know. Is that, that, and as, as Brett, uh, Brett McMurphy wrote in his article, that's where college athletics is in 2024. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, or you're Vanderbilt. So, uh, good job, Vandy. You are the, uh, you are the paragon of, uh, of success in, in this era of athletics. You know, another kind of interesting factor that came up is Michigan is the first team to allow 25 points or less in 15 games since Minnesota did it 120 years ago. Now, I have to be clear, that's about how long you have to go back where 15-game 15, uh, 15 regular seasons were a th or pardon me, 15-game seasons were a thing. So there's a little asterisk that should be put there. But, it, uh, you know, I'm sure Michigan haters will be laughing about the fact that, you know, asterisks, really? <laughs> Maybe another one will come up later, but I I'm not going to get into that sort of thing. Excuse me, Mr. Murphy, I see your hand up. Yeah, you brought up the cheating thing and how it's almost. And I don't know what they didn't have to do Vanderbilt like that. We all love Vanderbilt. They, they try their hardest, but, you know, they're the ones that don't cheat. But it's funny. I'm not excusing 
what we got found out for doing this season. I mean, we know everybody cheats in collegiate sports. It's the most, um, it's the purest thing in college sports is that there's some form of cheating going on. And I just wanted to bring up, like, back when Michigan were winning their championships during the time when Minnesota was, where the battle for the the jug was a real, a real intense thing. We were cheating. I forgot. I think our offense was coined um, a point a minute. But I think about half our roster was being paid to play. We're coming down from professional groups and clubs to come play for the college team with Ringo. So cheating in college has just been so long run. I don't think it's ever going to stop. And Vanderbilt needs to get with the program. You know, it's kind of fascinating that w- when you think about it, too. I mean, the classic the classic way that programs have always found ways to kind of you know, let I'll be charitable, bend the rules was with compensating players behind in some way or manner, usually indirectly, maybe to a relative. One of my favorite movies growing up was Blue Chips, you know, which was about basketball. But if you've seen it, it's a fun movie um, if you're into college sports. But, uh, you know, NIL and the transfer portal, that one-two punch, kind of bringing a lot of it into, like, legality and within the rules has changed the game. It's, it's appearing to change the game. Now, I've had some fans in the media go maybe a little too far and say, like, it has changed it. I'm like, I don't know if this year was a blip or if it was part of a bigger trend. But to see two teams that aren't necessarily in the very, very top of the recruiting rankings being able to make it through, knowing that they've had some, especially on the Washington side of key transfer, um, makes it interesting. The fact that USC, up until they just you know collapsed in the Pac-12 title game last year, they almost made it into the playoff um, with a with sort of a, a mercenary change at some of the key player positions last year. Hell, you know, look at TCU. TCU didn't necessarily had a couple of key players that transferred in, but also like wow, they, you know, that was another example of random team just made it into the championship game seemingly. So I'm very curious to see when next season, 12-team playoff, more options, more teams, more conversation. A lot more folks are going to be interested in the final few weeks. I mean, people are interested. Fans are going to be interested. I mean, even more interested in the, 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 the kind of end game of, of the, the regular season. It's going to be really fascinating to see what kind of teams make it through. And, you know, kind of going back to an earlier point I made, the attrition that's going to happen just from, from injuries, wear and tear, the mental angle to see how it kind of develops by the time we get to the semifinals and finals. Are we going to see teams that seemed unstoppable finally just kind of have a, a moment where they just kind of are have an off day? Um, again, I'm not saying that's the only reason why Washington lost. Certainly not. I mean, well, Michigan came and played well. But, I mean, you know, it, that seemed to be the day where finally just Washington had an Arizona State kind of day, except their opponent wasn't Arizona State. It was Michigan. Um, and that was enough. I see we have one other person who wants to join in, so I'm going to let you up here. Oh, it's Dr. Pepper Bucko, our friend from Pitt. I'll let you up here. Hey, what's going on? Dr. Pepper Bucko. It's not looking good, Coach. Uh, I'm watching my basketball team lose by 30. Rough. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so you've already made the transition in the hoops. Who's, I, I honestly am not paying attention to college basketball at the moment. Who are they playing? It's playing Duke. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just turned that game off. Don't just don't don't po- pony only po- pony ruined it. But that's 
Uh, uh, so, uh, so I want to give you uh, an opinion uh, on a. Uh, on one of uh, Pitt's uh, transfer guys, uh, that uh, I guess redshirt freshman uh, quarterback that came from Alabama. I, I don't know how to feel about him. Uh, I I I just will will it finally be the the one transfer quarterback that's good. For, for the Panthers. Got. Uh, uh. So let's see. So you guys got Eli Holstein. Yeah. Or Steiner yeah. Holstein. Yeah. Man, I don't know enough about him off the top of my head. And this is me. I'm not a huge recruiting guy, and I'll admit this. Um, but if he's a former top recruit and that's someone Alabama had, I mean, that's a beautiful thing about the transfer portal. Maybe, you know, Pitt can turn him into something. But I don't know. We talked about that problem. Yeah, exactly. Wanna. Like, we, what we do? Uh, get Phil Dracovic, that failed. We got Slovis, that failed. And we got Velix, that failed. Well, now you have a new offensive coordinator with Kate Bell. Yeah. You know, you got him from Western <laughs> Carolina. So, will he be the one that turns it around? I don't God, know. God, God, Because <laughs> uh, Signetti didn't. Yeah, no. Um well, you know, that's the wonderful thing about college football. We'll see. I mean, who knows? Maybe by the time it gets to the fall, he's already – he's not even the – he's not even the starting team, yay. Team. <laughs> well, awesome, man. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, man. It's good to hear from you again. Let's see here. The water boy, what is going on? Got another Michigan man up here. Good evening, Bobak. How are you? I'm good. So uh, I, we talked a, a little bit about it uh, today, but I wanted to hear uh, a bit more about the other media members and and what they discussed with you after you asked Harbaugh the the tattoo question. Well, you know, again, for just if, for those of you who might be joining late, the very end of the post game presser, I got to ask the last question of the Jim Harbaugh, and I asked him actually. Um, the water boy is the one who suggested I ask this. You know, he's, he had promised early in the season that if they won out, he told his players he was going to get a tattoo. So now, fresh out of the championship game, he's, he's you know, just completely sanguine. He's in the great mood. You know, I, I later on in the night saw the video of him hugging his dad and his mom and just being completely hyper. I, I heard him on the, uh, the podium and all of that stuff. So I figured he's going to be in a good mood. If he's going to answer this question, he'll probably answer it. Tonight, rather than waiting for the 9 a.m., you know, champions, uh, p pardon me, presser in the morning. And, yeah, no, he gave it He gave it a, a long answer, uh, the classic Harbaugh answer, not, not just saying, yeah, I'm going to get one, uh, and I'm going to get an M over it, but then going into the double meaning that an M is the Roman numeral for 1,000, and he, he had 1,000 wins, and, and the importance of how Michigan's the first to do that, and et cetera, et cetera. He, by the way, he had an earlier comment I just have to throw out there, and, and it was – this this local Houston reporter. I mean, it was a good question, but I was. I think a lot of us were like, we all know this story. Why are you asking this? But I mean, he's a, he's a local guy, and I think he just wanted to get this question. In, but sort of the meaning of what it meant to be a Michigan man and all of that stuff. Asking Jim Harbaugh that question. We. Were, I mean, it, I remember by about oh three or four minutes into his answer, he even said like, I should turn this into a book. And I could tell a lot of us were like, just write a book, man. We got it. We got this. We we like. There are more of us who want to ask questions. <laughs> But he, uh, one thing he did mention was, and gosh, let, let me think up the exact quote because, it, it, again, it was, it was so well phrased. Um, 
uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. One day when they throw dirt over the top of me, if someone who is eulogizing me, who is on the team or one of my teammates when I was playing at Michigan, if they would simply say he was a Michigan man, that would mean everything to me. And I was just like, I mean, the way he phrases these things, and if you hear him doing do these presses live, you're like, man, he's 100% like on board with this. But um, so some people were trying to get him to talk about whether he could go in the NFL. You know, he's smart. He's not going to buy that answer. Um, he's done everything but say he's leaving, but he's not going to be stupid enough to say it, right? Um, so then when I kind of finished with that tattoo question, afterwards, you know, most of us head back to the hotel at some point or another in the evening. I mean, it's such a late night, for example, for the press, because got to keep writing f- stories. Some folks are doing radio interviews from the press box with their local uh, media. And, you know, you get to the hotel where the media hotel is. They have like a lounge for, for the media, just kind of relax. And they serve, you know, lunch, dinner, whatever. They serve dinner at 1 a.m. because they knew how late people were coming. They actually, like, I got to give the Texas people like some serious credit because there's like a host committee. They rolled out a suckling pig and started carving it at 1 a.m. Like, I wasn't going to eat it that, that time of night, uh, but, uh, you know, like it was, but it was a late night, but like, so, but everyone at that point is just exhausted because you've been up early, you know, you're going to get like three to five hours of sleep before you have to wake up the next morning, either to do a radio bit or a podcast show or, you know, the 9am uh, champions presser. So everyone's just kind of like, like just taking a breather. And yeah, a couple of people were like, thanks for asking that one. That was actually interesting. Because everyone, especially the beat writers, the beat writers have heard that question beaten to death, so to speak. You know, like, we're going to go to the NFL. Are you going to go, are we going to see you on the sideline again? I mean, that's, that's a question that, you know, can get asked once per press conference. Beyond that, it gets kind of tiresome. So that that's kind of what I was talking about. It was nice to get some some folks who you respect, like some of these guys who, and men and women who I read their writing, to have them say, like, hey, that was a good question. It kind of like, all right, you know, uh, those are the people you care about. You don't care about the people. I mean, people on the internet who tell you you're an, you're an idiot, you know, like, well, all right, whatever. But uh, but the, the people who actually do it, you kind of feel like, all right, the people who do this stuff and, and get it, you, you kind of appreciate that. But uh, I saw a couple of people you saw in the Rose Bowl, by the way, and then they, they had some nice things to say about you, Jake. Well, it was, uh, I mean, the Rose Bowl was amazing, and, and last night's game was a lot of fun to watch. It's, it's just a fan, instead of having to have that sort of like press hat on, um, which I did totally take off when I got to the sideline uh, of the Rose Bowl. <laughs> but th- th- when I when I was watching the live stream of the post game, and they were like, last question, I was kind of thinking, oh, darn, Bobak's not going to get to ask the, the the question. And then I hear your voice. And then you like pause. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to introduce who I'm from. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then to see it later on, like on Twitter, um, and it being like retweeted, and, and then to see it, on the top of like Reddit, like the next day, like as an article, it, it all just kind of was a little bit like, I was like, I knew that was a good question that he should ask. I knew it was a Reddit style question. <laughs> well, thanks again, Jake. No, I'm glad you gave me that one. That was a good, I mean, no, I, I even told him like, I'm not going to ask a question that's going to embarrass us. Like I remember I told, I know you wouldn't do that, but I said like, that's how it was prefaced. I'm like, I'm not going to ask the, uh, the Reddit guy asking the worst possible question, but I'm like, look, that'll just basically nuke us from the you know, the building. Everyone already kind of thinks like, oh crap, it's Reddit, you know. But uh, <laughs> but that was a good question. Like, yeah, I kind of that's the one I wish if I if I followed the program that closely. That's one of the ones you're like, oh, that's actually a good one. Let's see, I got someone else up here. Uh, Trey Farah, uh, pardon me, Trey Harris fan account. What's going on? Ah, uh, you know, I'm a big Ole Miss fan, and 
I was just wondering, what do you think the effects of Quinshawn leaving? I, personally, I don't think it's really going to do much because we got Ulysses Bentley, but I just want to see your thoughts on that. Yeah, that was one of the surprise announcements in terms of the transfer portal, only because, you know, it was another transfer portal cycle. Everyone's talking about, you know, Lane Kiffin is the king of the transfer portal once again. And then suddenly one of his best players, I mean, not necessarily didn't this. And I think here's I'm going to get to where I'm going here with this. But I mean, that was kind of a bit of a surprise. But at the same time, he hadn't necessarily played as big a role and made as big an impact in this past season. So I guess, you know, perhaps exactly what you said, he saw who's coming in. I'm sure he had a convert. I mean, I don't know if this is a surprise for Lane Kiffin or not. I haven't really read, you know, interpretations of it. Could be he had a conversation that, that made him realize that his position, or at least where he thought he was in the lineup, might not have been exactly secure. Um, not to say that he couldn't get it or earn it, but it might be a question in his mind of, you know, why don't I, maybe I want to start fresh or maybe there's, there's a bit of, obviously we live in the NIL era, maybe there's a bit of a, a, a benefit elsewhere that he can take, but I, you know, you get it. You know, he did have a great season, obviously the previous year and this season he wasn't all, he, I'm not saying it was terrible. It just wasn't quite to that level. So maybe this is an opportunity to, uh, to find somewhere where, you know, he does well. I mean, we've seen that before. We've seen plenty of guys who who did well at their previous school who just move on to another school and do even better. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I think I'm pretty sure this is one of those situations where Ole Miss is going to be fine, at least. And maybe, and and the fact that they're going to be fine is probably why he decided, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where they wouldn't be fine if I suddenly left. Um, That might be a way to phrase it. I'm not sure. But... Very much looking forward, Ole Miss getting that victory in the Peach Bowl, how they kind of ride this sort of momentum in the next season. Because we've talked about it before. Uh, The Peach Bowl was fascinating because you had two teams that seemed to be the most likely to benefit from the 12-team playoff um, in this initial outset. Could end up being we're totally wrong. But but just seeing the the Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss, and the, uh, the, the James Franklin Penn State teams, it'll be interesting to see if they can make their way into those those top 11 spots, because one of them is still going to be a G5 program, um, which may very well be in the top 12. But even if they're not, we're going to get at least one G5 per year. Uh, Dr. Pepper Bucko, I see your hand up. I like to add to something that uh, I probably, let's see. So if you're talking Penn State here, so uh, again, I'm not a huge fan of them. Let's see. If they do make it to the college football playoffs, I'm not saying I fully guarantee, but I mean, they, they, they're not good against good teams, let's be honest. And Iowa doesn't count because, well, the offense got shut out and uh, the punter holds, like, what, the record for, like, the most punny yards and what? But you case Yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that doesn't count. Uh I, I would guarantee you they would always get first rounded unless if they fired their coach. Just boy, man. I'm gonna say this much: the, the Penn State fans—that's the ultimate question. Like, if you let him go, are you gonna get someone better? So many teams have thought that and then been completely wrong. So, uh, I mean, look, George is a classic example of that. It's it's a Kirby Smart, but man, they went through a lot of coaches before they found someone who who worked. You know, Clemson as well. I mean. Not everyone's Davos Swinney, not everyone's Kirby Smart, but yeah, th- that's going to be a question 
uh, for Penn State. Let's see, we got someone else who wants to join in. Hema, I'm going to let you up. Uh, and Trey Harris, uh, fan, you're welcome to, to ask something. I saw you on mute. Oh, um, yeah, and I just want to add, uh, I was wondering about, um, shoot, um, do you, do you think we might have a chance at the SEC on the next year? You know, um, <laughs> there's always a shot. Uh, and Ole Miss certainly seems to be able to recruit at a level where they can get a, a puncher's chance at getting through some of these games. It just seems to be every time they get into that situation, they fall flat. Like this season, they got Alabama when Alabama looked its weakest, and then suddenly Alabama you know, turned back in Alabama and, and absolutely clobbered them. There will be a year, you figure, where they're going to get that kind of a, a victory in. Um, the reason we keep talking about the 12-team playoff being beneficial is even being the third-best SEC team at this point, or third-best uh, or even fourth-best Big Ten or SEC team, should probably give you a shot at getting in that large bid. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, they could do it. They certainly could do it. The problem is they're kind of in the Penn State situation where they just, for some reason, don't seem able to get it together within their own conference against the top teams. Well, but, uh, well, mm -hmm. and when we had Hugh Freeze, we used to lose to teams that we shouldn't have, and we'd be, we'd, be, we'd beat Alabama, and then we'd lose to Memphis the next week. So, uh, I know, and that's that's the thing. It's like it, it's that's what makes it more remarkable. The teams that can can maintain that level of discipline week after week. I mean, first, I mean, hell, we all watched we all watched Alabama seem to almost do that to. To their version of it against Southern, pardon me, against uh, uh, South Florida. Of course, they got it together, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. Um, yeah. Pete Carroll used to do the same thing. He'd beat, you know, a, a ranked Ohio State team on the road, and then suddenly lose on the road to like a, a a mediocre Oregon State team. Sometimes it's it's hard to keep guys motivated week after week, especially in the era now an era that's kind of coming to a close when you really couldn't afford a loss. Um, now you could kind of afford a loss in the fourteen playoff. And then in the in the twelve team playoff, you could probably, if you're a strong program, even get away with two losses and get in um, without too much trouble uh, if the, if the schedule is, is strong enough. Um, let's see, we have one other person up here. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Oh, oh, go ahead. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, let's see here, Jason Bailey. What's going on? Hey, buddy. How's it going? I'm uh, joining a little late, so if this question's already been discussed or whatever, just let me know, and I'll you know, go back and listen. But um, you were mentioning Kirby Smart earlier, and I've kind of been hearing the rumblings about the Falcons trying to get this dude to jump to the NFL. Wow. I'm sure he he's probably, they're probably not the only team that would be interested in him, I wouldn't think. But I'm of the opinion that, like, they would have to take this dude out in a body bag from Georgia. Like, he seems like the prototypical college coach and – I mean, they they would pay him whatever they whatever he wanted to stay. I mean, am I crazy thinking that there's no chance that they would get that guy or any NFL team really outside of like a major power like the Cowboys or something if they had an opening? You know, I bet people have made kind of quiet inroads to his agent to see if he'd be up for it, and I'm sure he's. I mean, because he's he is part of the Nick Saban coaching tree. And they all saw, you know, I'm sure they heard from Nick Saban what he, you know, if they've ever considered, they may have asked him, like, well, 
<laughs> why did you only stay with the Dolphins that little bit of time? You know, and he probably gave them their opinion. Because I always wonder, there's something about that passion about being really good at what you are, especially in this, you know, in the in the hallowed college football realm of the South, where they take it at a level, you know, the whole it just means more, but also at a level of passion that uh, that that seems to to feed into it. I mean, maybe he could. I don't know how tempted he would be. I mean, because he could also look at, you know, Lane Kiffin had that temptation, and, and then, you know, Al Davis ate him alive. Um, you could see, you know, Harbaugh wants to go back. He's a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say their personalities are exactly alike, but there's something about Jim Harbaugh and Pete Carroll that, you know, I, I remember Pete Carroll really well at USC, and I remember when they were rival college coaches at USC and Stanford, but both of them had this kind of, like, insane level of, of like competitiveness in them that is is kind of beyond like building a program it's more like it's for me to prove myself at at every level as a you know ability to win um so that's why i'm not as shocked like harbaugh wants to go back to the nfl like that's just him it's unfinished business i mean he made it to a super bowl he just didn't win the game you know um but with with kirby smart it does i agree it just seems odd and i agree i think Georgia would be mad at this point not to match some of these offers he would get because his value to the university, to the to the brand, to the everything. I mean, the the donors that are going to be throwing money at the program, the uh, the alumni, and you know, happy alumni are more likely to give a little bit of money here and there. You know, his his intangible value, his tangible value to the school is just utterly tremendous. So, you know. It, I don't know how much he'd openly flirt with it. I've had, you know, sometimes it's a it's a a ploy to get a raise. You know, when uh, the agent kind of hints that, oh, you know, he's talking to the Falcons. You know, and you know, you might get the athletic department to to kick in a little bit more of a boost. But he has such a sweet deal there. I I don't know. I'd be surprised. I mean, I wouldn't be totally shocked because sometimes some guys are just good at playing it close to the vest until they're already wearing the. Uh, the hat of the team that are now coaching, but that one would be a shocker to me. That one would be a bit more on the surprise. Yeah, he just doesn't strike me as a guy who would be willing to relinquish control <clears throat> of very many things. And when you go to an NFL team, you know, you know, it's you don't get the kind of control. Whereas if you were to ask who's in control of Georgia's football program, it's him and nobody else. So. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's funny too because Pete Carroll was all about that. I remember he kept getting every year after he started to do, I think even after he didn't even win a title, it was 2002 when Carson Palmer won the Heisman. He started to get offers um, or be mentioned every year, but the thing was, and they actually became very openly known, it wasn't a secret, he was like, he will take an NFL job if he gets X level of control. And then finally the Seahawks, and I forgot who the owner was, I think it was, was it Paul Allen before he passed away, I forgot his name, but... uh um, he said, like, all right, you can get the level of control. You can basically be your own general manager. And Carroll took that job. So I could see maybe there would be that kind of, if there is some sort of, like, he would if sort of scenario there. But honestly, he keeps it close enough to the best that I'm not entirely sure. And that's a compliment to him, by the way. Because um, it keeps your fan base more like, this is our man. You know, he's our man until he's wearing a new hat. Um, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Maybe never. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Let's see, I got a couple of hands up here. Ski Mask Smurphy, I saw your hand up, and then we'll get to the water boy. Yeah, I started looking through this earlier and earlier in this space when I talked about Harbaugh moving up. And, you know, this is one thing my mind is like, I feel like, you know, when coaches, once they've gone to an NFL, they come back down and win a title. And the NCAA, they never 
go back up because it can sort of lose with a king's ransom. And I'm going through this as best I can. It started started here, but I went back to basically through the 90s. And I'll, I can only find two coaches who went up to the NFL level and came back down in college and won a title. They went back up. And that's, well, the way they listed with NCAA, they're listing all of the titles. So which Davis is on there. <laughs> On there, even though he didn't win one per se, but Bush Davis and Pete Carroll. So I'm seeing this on like happen with two coaches. I don't know if Harbaugh or Kirby Smart are going to want to go up to the NFL. And then also Pete Carroll sort of left under, I guess to characterize it, suspicious terms at USC. But you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defend him on this only because the timeline there, I don't think anyone expected that to go the way it did. Because he, he, I remember the moment it looked like he was checked out. And it was, it was ugly enough when Mark Chavez declared for the NFL. Because the press conference was so, it wasn't, like, it wasn't like overly weird, but you could tell it was really, Pete Carroll was not happy. And you could tell he was looking at like, why am I putting up with this crap? Because he goes and he gives a speech saying, you know, I basically I don't agree with this. Mark Chavez should still stay for his, you know, his next season. And here's Mark Chavez. And Mark Chavez goes, I'm declaring for the NFL. And at that point, you could just kind of see in his 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 expression was just kind of like, I'm through with this. I want to go back to the NFL. It's college kids. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, you know, so I think that part, but yeah, no, no. He was just, but he he just wanted to go back. He was so angry that he did not get very long uh, opportunities with uh, with the uh, within the NFL because it was a yeah because he, he proved a predecessor of Belichick, um, you know, to, to prove what he could do with the Patriots um, uh, and some of his other stops. Let's see here, uh, Waterboy, your hands up as well. Yeah, so to uh, kind of go back to what Jason was saying, I I followed Hardball for a really long time, uh, you know. As a player, and then as a as a coach out here at USD, um, and then when he of course went to Stanford, and from Stanford over to 49ers, which is my 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 brother's uh, favorite uh, team, and I remember telling him that he was leaving the 49ers for Michigan, and he was like, "No way, no coach is leaving like the 49ers or the NFL for Michigan," and yet it happened. And each time where there's been rumors of him going, I'm like, "Yeah, he's not going to go until that Vikings gig." I was like, "He would go if he gets the offer." And this year, I feel like the team that he would look at would be the Falcons. The Falcons already have like kind of the, the running backs. They're in the NFC, which is the opposite of his brother being in the AFC. Uh, they're in a very easy like type division. I, I think he would find the Falcons pretty attractive, especially if they can get like a, a young quarterback that he could mold just like he did with Alex Smith and uh, in, in Kaepernick when he was at the 49ers. So I've been saying for a couple weeks before the Falcons even were firing their coach that Atlanta could really be the kind of out of nowhere NFL team that, that Jim Harbaugh may jump to. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to just really quickly, I see, by the way, Adam, I see you. I'm going to get to you in a second. I just wanted to touch on a question that's actually been in the uh, messages for a while by Ice Devil of Carlsbad. With a 12-team playoff, we need to reimagine conference championship week. What do you think of this idea? A P4 conference champ equals a playoff first round bye, does not play during the conference championship week. Um, and then P4 second place 
placed third place during. Oh, I see. So the 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 first person in the, the first place in the standings just doesn't have to play in the conference championship. Goes to the playoff as a first round bye, and then the second and third place teams play each other in conference championship week, and then that winner gets the playoff bid. So this just assumes that um, two teams from the Big Twelve, ACC, uh, Big Ten, and SEC would automatically be in the playoffs and take eight of those spots, and then you'd have, you know, the G5 and then three at-large bids. I'm not good at math, but I think I worked that one out. But, I mean, it's an interesting opinion. I think the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be 100% against that because now they're just stacked with teams. I mean, they've got a billion teams each, more or less. I mean, my math is a little fuzzy there. Uh, So it's so funny, too. Like, I I broke open the... uh, the article, because I always use Wikipedia as like a quick reference for things because it's like not anything, I'm not going to make a pop-up song or some garbage. And I love looking at like the conference layouts and <laughs> you realize exactly how big these conferences are now because the list just, just keeps going. It starts to look like old pages for college football seasons where like there were 90 independent teams, it seemed like. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am... Um, I'm not sure that one would go so well with the uh, w- with the two super conferences now, only because they'll want to get the opportunity to get as many of their teams in, especially if you have one season where four of them are, are dominating the top ten. I just I'm not sure I, I, it would f- fly, but it's certainly an interesting question. I'm going to allow. Let's see here, uh, Dr. Pepper Buckos, Ski Mask Smurfy, and then we'll let up Adam. I mean. Like, when you look at it, it could be good. But, again, the super conferences, I get it. So, I mostly agree. But also, a little sneaky. It could be something like maybe my uh, – whatever. Who cares? But, eh, just go – come on, sneak. Just go, just go to see Ski. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, Ski Master Murphy, what's on your mind? By the way, I'm looking at this list of the ACC. I just love seeing it because it's in alphabetical order. Boston College, Cal, Clemson. And I'm like, what, what? I'm like, just seeing those two teams next to each other. Man, oh, we're, we're entering a new era. Or Rutgers, then UCLA. Um, <laughs> and Washington, Wisconsin. I love seeing these all lined up, you know. Um, SMU, Stanford, Syracuse. Goodness. Oh, I can't wait to see next season. But uh, Ski Master Murphy, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was I was gonna say what what you just read. Logistically, it sounds perfectly fine. That okay, it works out that eight. Then you just have the seven non-power conference. Wait, is it six or seven now? Non-power conferences play for the last four spots in the conference championship. It sounds logistically fine, but it's just as you said, the big conferences they're gonna they're not gonna want that because it automatically means they can't get three teams in. So that wouldn't work, but. I have said, like, for the Big Ten, now that we've added just about every single school on the West Coast, that we might need to go to, like, have two rounds of conference championships, whereas, like, the top four teams play each other, then the winners play each other the next week. But, yeah, something's got to get worked out with the size of the conferences in order for the 12-team playoff to work better. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting because we're going to now see – all there's so many things happening kind of at once right now where we still haven't finalized the best way to do it. I mean, everything from the transfer portal, people still aren't entirely sure how to make it work perfectly for their own team. Um, 
NIL, we're still, I mean, programs still seem to be learning how to distribute money in ways that get the best return on investment. Um, you know, uh, somebody, I, I forgot who it was, but the, uh, the top 10 recruits going in the next recruiting cycle are going, I think, to 10 different schools at this point, which has never been seen before. Um, and it kind of talks about this sort of um, democratization of uh, talent that's happening or distribution of talent because the, the above board ability to use NIL to, to bring players and, and the transfer portal giving players an opportunity to, to move the moment they see that maybe they're not going as fast as they wish, maybe sometimes too fast. But, you know, that's their fault. You know, that's their fault. It's not, you know, um, let them, you know, they're, they're old enough to, to make that decision. They can, they can, you know, either reap the dividends or pay the price, so to speak. Um, yeah, a lot of things are going on right now. You know, one other kind of factoid that caught my eye is we kind of slowly get to a point where we might wrap this up. Michigan is the first national champ to lead at halftime in, uh, in every game since Miami did so in 2001. And that... For those who are around on that 2001 Miami team, and that's probably and that's Cole Kubelik. So I mean, that's that's a that, that he's again one of the solid journalists out there. I enjoy listening to him um, when he, especially was on some of the podcasts I enjoy. But yeah, that that is an incredible feat because that Miami team was absolutely incredible. I think my joke, and, and I said this to a friend as soon as the game was done last night. I said, you know, are we now going to say, well, Michigan still hasn't played anybody? Um, but now, now that they won the national championship, yeah, but have they really played a good team? Let's get the Patriots against them. They're not that good. You know, they, they're not doing anything right now. Why don't we bring them over? But, uh, no, the, uh, I think they're definitely now they've snuck into a position where we have to really talk about how dominant they were all year round. But, uh, Waterboy, I know you've unmuted. What did you want to say? You know, they they trailed in the entire season less than 45 minutes, less than three-quarters of a game where they actually trailing, and most of that was in the Rose Bowl. So that is like another remarkable sort of defensive stat that they have. Yeah, I mean, and again, as I said earlier, credit to Alabama. I mean, they are, uh, for all the people that were upset that they made in the playoff, they were the only team to give that, that, uh, that, that Michigan team a real challenge all season long. Um, you know, again, I mentioned very early on, but the championship game, apparently, I mean, I thought it breezed by pretty quick, even in the press box, but it always feels like it goes by fast. But apparently it was about, uh, three hours and 30 minutes, which is only 10 minutes longer than an average football game. So somebody in the, uh, in the Reddit section, the Reddit comments for it, um, actually a Michigan fan, uh, Red Sox, Jake 14, uh, when you run the ball that much, it keeps the game moving. This is a case for Big Ten football. Unfortunately, uh, the Big Ten's about to get USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, so I wouldn't necessarily guarantee uh, what, what Big Ten football even means anymore uh, in terms of brand, but we'll see. And the Big Ten West is gone. The Big Ten West is gone. So, uh, <laughs> excuse me, Mr. Murphy, I saw your hand up. Yeah, sort of changing topics a little bit for something that's a little bit more of a lighter note, I guess. But um, being that you're in the press, I don't know if you were engaged or heard about the madness surrounding the supposed commercial for the new NCAA football game <laughs> and like how all of that just went crazy. Because before before the day even happened, I just saw like a, a couple weeks ahead of time from a few random, I guess you would call them influencers in college football and uh, Madden and video games. 
And I just thought, I was like, there's no form of a credible source on any of this. This is going to spiral out of control, which I don't know if you were on. I saw it on well, the it's RCMB so Reddit and on and on the NCAA football game Reddit. It was a it was a mad fest after halftime in the snow commercial. It's so funny because like so when we were when we run the Twitter account, especially at a game like this, I'm at the game. I'm just focused on the game. I'm tweeting that, and the other guys are are catching on to all of these trends. I remember it was after the game. Um, when I was back in my hotel room, kind of like catching up with, all right, let's see what other people were saying about the game. Because, And this is kind of a quirky thing. Like when you're in the press box, even something like, I remember I wrote people, I'm like, why is, you know, on our Slack channel, why are all the Washington fans booing so much? Because at one point the Washington fans were booing like crazy. And honestly, most of us in the press box were clueless when it happened. And then somebody said, well, they, it looked like they may have had 12 men on the field. And, you know, a lot of us hadn't seen that. And, you know, it made sense. Like, but I mean, sometimes you just, you'll write your story and then you'll get, and you'll see social media and you'll be like, wow, people are really angry about X. Or sometimes there'll be like an announcer said something and we don't hear what the announcers are saying. Um, but with the, the commercial was an example of that because I came out of the game and I'm like, wow, people were really angry at, uh, at this commercial. Because I remember somebody wrote, this was a this was a <laughs> crowd hyped to actually see a single commercial when it never appeared. And one of the comments I actually was reading on RCFP, because again, that's a that's the way I sometimes get this information. Um, because I know um uh, uh Matt Brown of Extra Points, he's like made his bones about like being a researcher or finding filing like Freedom of Information Act questions to try and find out more about this game. Um, he said that he wasn't expecting much heading into this. And he's, to be quite honest, he's almost an insider on this. I've said uh, loosely before, I am so worried this game is going to suck. You have no idea. Like, it's EA a decade later. Um, I, it's probably, I'm like, I'm, I can't wait. There's no way this game is going to be as good as people are hoping it's going to be. And I'm, I'm fearful it's going to be worse. But uh, one of the other, um, Readers kind of put into an earlier question uh, from an earlier comment they made. You know, I live in the Bay Area and I know someone who works at EA. Apparently, even the EA, EA employees haven't got to see any game related stuff yet, which my friend who works at EA says is odd. And they in, intimated that it's not a good sign for the game. I'm okay, that, that's a little rumor wise, but also I got to admit, I'm kind of surprised we haven't heard a whole lot about it. Um, hopefully, it's not going to be like a mobile only game uh, with. Uh, <laughs> DLC and all of that stuff, you know, but um, because it's funny, it seems like it should be a slam dunk, but man, I, I guess yeah, it's it's upsetting people who really want the game to be good. I remember, by the one other thing, um, if if they ever get a chance uh, to go to the national championship game, or if it's in your town, they do a really cool event, and I don't like go and play there, but I always go and walk through because I'm curious to see what they've set up for uh, the host committee for the fans, not just the fans going to the game, but just locals they do the fan fest and like the first one i covered um excuse me was right before the pandemic in new orleans and it wasn't that great it was outdoors in the french quarter it was kind of all right it wasn't that fancy and then after the pandemic uh it was in indianapolis and then because it was so cold they put it in a giant convention hall and that was really neat it seemed neat last year in los angeles they did in the LA convention center also neat but this year in uh, Houston, they added so many more stuff for the fans to do. Like they had a zip line indoors in this huge convention hall. They had a mechanical bull. 
uh, all this stuff for kids and adults, like they let you go see the trophies, the Heisman Trophy, the National Championship Trophy. You can pose with it. Like I don't like do that. Actually, I think Jake and I, you and me, and uh, uh, okay, a couple of us did last year because we just met up there because it was the first time we met each other in person. But the uh, but you know usually you know, I just walk through, take social media pictures, and I'm done with it. But Texas really up the ante, and I bet they're going to up the ante again next season. So if you ever have a national champion, like it's Atlanta next year, and then it's going to be in Miami the year after, um, that's a makeup one because, again, uh, Miami had the COVID year, so no one showed up for it, and they didn't really weren't able to do much. Um, it, it, it should it be was, a good environment. Hmm? It, it was you, me, and Mike in L.A., and Stanford Steve, and, and we went to get to see the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> you, we, 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 I forgot because we, we asked the question. Well, I, I, did Mike ask the question or did you ask the question? It, it was uh, Mike asked. I gave Mike the question. Mike asked it, but I was like, ask this question. This is a good question. And then whatever it was, I don't remember now. Well, it was yeah. like a random drawing of the people that asked questions to the, of the show that was recording right there. And then like somebody was going to win tickets to the Jonas Brothers and you guys won tickets to the Jonas Brothers. I'm like, oh, oh. You know, and I'm like, I, yeah. I, I'm dev. I, you know, that that was, the, yeah, I remember that. Oh my gosh! But, but I don't think, I don't think he made it. And I know I didn't make it <laughs> to the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, it was awkward. Like, oh, we didn't mean to win this. We just wanted to ask a question. Uh, <laughs> goodness, uh, Dr. Pepper Bucko, what's up? Hey, I also got another question. I, I think we, I don't know if we, yeah, we probably talked about this, but like, who, who you think? right now is going to be overrated because oh like overall i see like the knolls not doing so well this year and uh of course you know miami's miami i don't know it's just two thousands just kind of snapped back and well uh yeah they they ain't do, doing too good so you know i'm i it's a little early for I'm, I'm I really do think it's too early in this to so guess which team is going to flop. Miami's always the, the I mean, Miami and USC have historically been the safe answer because they just always seem to find a way to kind of mess up the preseason rankings. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I'm because I mean the final rankings right now. I'm looking at them. They look pretty normal. Nothing unusual with them. But especially once people get used to who's transferred in, um, get used to because we're going to get you know. They already have, I mean, even earlier this week, before the national championship game, they already had lines out for who's going to win the national championship next season. So a lot of this stuff is just too early. It's just more of humor than anything. And, and for the, the truly devoted gamblers um, and the risk takers. But we'll see. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off because I always, I, I like it to be a pleasant surprise, uh, which team is the one that uh, is completely overrated in a particular year. I don't know who the king of them would be this season, though. I mean, USC is a contender. Yeah, USC. It's probably USC. To a lesser extent, TCU. But I don't think that much was expected at TCU this season. They just somehow managed not to achieve even that. Um, the only saving grace for USC is the, is the Holiday Bowl. They suddenly, you know, they, they, they had a, a guy do so well, he absolutely ruined their transfer portal work, um, which, is, which is, is remarkable in its own way. But... Um, Let's see here. I'm going to slowly start wrapping this up. It's been, we've been going for about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, in my voice, I can feel it <clears throat> slowly fading away because I'm on about four hours of sleep uh, because it was such a tight night with the national championship. Excuse me. This is RCFB Talk 174. Uh, my name is Bob Akhairi. I want to thank all of you 
for joining us. Again, it's been a pleasure this season. We're going to continue doing these every Tuesday. Thank all of you who joined us in the conversation. Thank all of you who listened. And I hope you all have a great rest of your week. Get a chance to relax, get a chance to sleep, catch up with the hobbies that maybe you neglected uh, while the season was going. Hopefully not your families that you neglected, but you know, a chance just to kind of to retrench yourselves as we get ready for this long 228-day off season. So thanks again, everybody. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.